We're not saying you should never eat cake. You should never eat chocolate. That's 100% not our message because if you really enjoy it, how much more would you enjoy it when it's intentional, when it's a moment where you can really enjoy the experience? It's very, very different from a, I've had such a stressful day and I've just got to gobble this down so quickly. But it may also be that you can actually have a look at that pattern in your life that's driving the overeat. Why is it that chocolate or chips or cookies are the only thing that gives you that moment of joy? So it can help us sometimes to identify where we're out of alignment in our life and what's really not working in a way that we would truly want it to. Do you struggle to eat healthily? Do you make resolution after resolution about healthy eating, only to fail miserably at the first hurdle? And do you wish you could get on top of your eating habits without feeling like you're constantly restricting yourself and having a bad time? Because after a long day at work, finding a huge slice of cake in the coffee room can feel like heaven. And if you're anything like me, you'll have wolfed it down in about 30 seconds flat. So diets, eating, hormones, sugar, we know that these things have a massive effect on our mood and performance. But so many of us, whilst we know the science and what we need to do, struggle with how to do it. And when we're stressed, the quick sugar fix is almost irresistible and helpful at the time. But within a few hours, we often regret it. Now, most professionals know what to do when it comes to eating well, but we just don't do it. Lack of time to plan, headspace and the sheer stress of the job can make this really difficult. I also think that sometimes we just not grasp the huge effect that food really does have on our overall health, mood and performance. So I wanted to talk about this on the podcast as it's something that I really struggle with and I know many other people do. So in this episode, I'm joined by Kelly Williams and Dr. Matea Rentier, weight loss and healthy eating coaches who together run the School of Sustainable Weight Loss. We talk about emotional eating, those small habits which can make a huge difference and why food, instead of relieving stress, can actually increase it. This podcast is not about weight loss specifically, but by following the principles we discuss, you will find that a healthier weight is easier to achieve. And if you're interested in delving deeper into this, then I thoroughly recommend checking out Kelly and Matea's online membership, the Weight Loss Coaching Collective. You can find the link and further details in the show notes. So listen to this episode to find out how to recognize and avoid emotional eating, why stress will actually work against your physiology, and some simple steps you can take by adding things in not taking things away from your diet, which will make you eat better, feel better, and you might even find that you've lost some weight. Welcome to You Are Not A Frog, the podcast for doctors and other busy professionals in high stress, high stakes jobs. I'm Dr. Rachel Morris, a former GP, now working as a coach, trainer and speaker. Like frogs in a pan of slowly boiling water, many of us don't notice how bad the stress and exhaustion have become until it's too late. But you are not a frog. Burning out or getting out are not your only options. In this podcast, I'll be talking to friends, colleagues and experts and inviting you to make a deliberate choice about how you will live and work so that you can beat stress and work happier. Are you constantly stressed and thinking about work? Does your laptop come with you on holiday? 
your to-do list have permanent residence in your brain and your worry about how to handle the latest crisis wake you up in the small hours. Then it's time to get your life back and that's exactly what our brand new online course will help you do. It's a 60-minute reset for healthcare professionals to shift your mindset so you can set boundaries and limits around your work without the endless guilt that you've not done enough. It's just £27 and you can get instant access now when you go to shapestoolkit.com slash get your life back. It's really wonderful to have with me on the podcast today, Dr. Mattia Rentier. Now, Mattia is a medical doctor specialising in metabolic health. And I've also got Kerry Williams. Kerry is a weight loss coach who helps women heal emotional eating. And Kerry has a background in nutrition and naturopathy. So welcome, both of you. It's so good to have you with us. Thank you for having us today. And Kerry, you're dialing in from London. But Mattia, you're dialing in from America, right? Whereabouts are you in the US? So I'm in Indianapolis, Indiana. Wow. And how did you guys meet? We met in our advanced certified weight loss coaching certification. And yeah, we decided to do a six week program together. We thought it would be fun and it eventually evolved into what we're doing today. So yeah, that's wonderful. And that is running the School of Sustainable Weight Loss together. So I'm sure we'll get into much more about that in a minute. But first of all, I'd love to know, how did you guys, you know, individually get into all this thinking about eating and nutrition and health? And how did you guys get to where you are today with it all? What's the background story? So I'm a physician and I've been overweight my whole life. And I I got to this place where my blood sugar started to be up. I was pre-diabetic. I went into a pregnancy several years ago, over 100 pounds overweight. And I just realized after I had my baby, something has to change. I'm never again going to count calories and points. I know diets don't work, but something had to change so that I didn't become diabetic and kind of go down that road. And so I started to look around what was there, and I found that coaching was an approach where I got down to what, where was the stress in my life happening? What was actually going on? And I had never taken that approach before. It was always looking at, well, how can I eat differently and what can I do, which is all fine and great. It's all good, but it doesn't lead to things actually sticking around. And so this time for the past three, four years, it's all been about figuring out what am I doing at work that I'm so stressed out 24-7? Why do I feel like I want to eat these foods, but then they really make me feel poorly? I literally feel shaky after I eat them. And so I just started to get curious on a different level, and it wasn't being answered by the things I'd done before. Wow. So it's the personal experience, the changes that you made, the things that you were finding, you were eating stuff, it was really affecting you, making you feel shaky. Kerry, was it the same sort of story? Kind of similar, actually, and and mine is kind of intertwined with my personal and professional story, I think, which, well, I guess that's for most of us, isn't it? But I I have been overweight most of my life, but I've got a real pattern, or I did have before, of yo-yo dieting, so I'd go up and down, up and down. And when I was in my 20s, I decided to, to study naturopathy, and we did a lot of nutrition in that, and I think... On reflection, that was a bit of a well-being diet, a wellness diet. We had a lot of training. It was great, don't get me wrong, about health and, you know, what food can do for your body and food as medicine, which is wonderful. But even with that understanding, I still would go up and down in my weight, which was really, really interesting. And I also saw that with my clients. I had a specialization around female hormonal health. So I'd get women coming in who are experiencing mood swings, who are experiencing painful periods 
quite often with that hormonal picture, there was also the weight as well. And so I tended to attract women who wanted to lose weight and you'd give them a plan. You'd say, you know, don't eat the gluten, don't eat this, don't eat that. And no one would stick to it, but I didn't even stick to it myself. So the missing piece for me was understanding the mindset piece around food. And when I eventually found coaching like Matea, it was the missing piece. I knew what I should be doing. And this helped me to consistently put it into practice and deal with my emotions so I didn't have that drive. So that's why I transitioned, because I felt like I really had a passion to help women around the bigger picture rather than the symptoms they were experiencing. Let's actually step back a bit and look at the the emotional side of things. So you don't even need to get there, you know. So, so yeah, that's how I got to this. Wow, really interesting. And the reason we've got you guys on the podcast is, because whenever we do our well-being training, everyone I talk to, particularly healthcare professionals in the high-stress jobs, it's always I need to eat better. I need to eat well for my own well-being. And, and there are lots of us that want to lose weight, but there is this thing about actually just just feeling better. It's not about being thin a lot of the time. It's just about wanting to manage our moods, manage you know all these these fluctuations manage manage our energy levels and I must say and this is quite embarrassing to admit it has taken me a long time to realize that what I eat does actually affect my energy and my mood and I actually only really have come to that conclusion in the last few weeks because September for us is a really bad month we have three birthdays so I spent September eating up the various birthday cakes that sat in our kitchen and I've noticed I feel really awful after eating a huge slice of cake, but I really, really love cake. So, ooh, I mean, is it really true that what we eat massively affects our mood and our energy? Let's just start off with that. So I think it's really important to actually work out, does it? And, and then why? Absolutely. I noticed this with myself. I noticed this with clients as well. And what I find around that is that our blood sugar plays into that so much. So when we eat these fast releasing foods and they've got the flour and the sugar and the very processed kind of ingredients, even if it's a beautiful cake that's been lovingly handmade, unfortunately, it has those ingredients in it that have been ground down from the whole plant. And so it spikes our blood sugar up very, very quickly and often we will crash. And it doesn't just affect our energy levels, but it also affects our mood. So, you know, quite often people, especially if they're quite sensitive to this, they'll find that their mood can go up and down a lot, which ties into their energy levels as well. So if you ever have experienced that picture of being hangry, you know, you're hungry and you're feeling angry and irritable at the same time. And quite often that comes after a, a blood sugar crash and your body just wants that energy, that quick hit again, which is why we get these cravings to go back for more. So how does that work from your point of view, from the sort of whole metabolic side of things? Yeah, I think it's tricky because we live in a world nowadays where there's a lot of processed food. So for me, even to suggest that a lot of these foods don't help us, people say, well, I like you said, there's birthdays that come up. They want to eat chocolate, things like that. And so I think that there are ways that we can work with nutrition to help support our blood sugar. That doesn't mean eliminating everything. So, for example, we use a technique that's called add a friend. So if you're going to have these things, let's have that dessert after a meal so that your blood sugar doesn't spike as much. Let's add some protein or fiber beforehand. 
all of these things are going to be steps in the direction where your sugar is not going to spike as much and you're going to feel better. And it's a, it's a gentler approach. People feel better than eliminating everything. So I don't want to sit here and say, yes, we know that eating a piece of cake is going to bring up the blood sugar. Of course, everybody knows that. That's not news. But, but how can we do these things in such a way that overall we feel better? Because where I see this the most in busy people, and this was me as well, you come home at night, you're tired and exhausted, and what do you do? It's the chips, the chocolate, the maybe the wine, if that's your thing. And so it's this way to release, but then ultimately we feel even worse. And so it's this cycle that keeps perpetuating how bad we feel. Hmm. So towards the end of this I'm definitely going to ask you for your hints and tips and what we can do about this but what do you see that people in high stress jobs particularly struggle with when it comes to eating when it comes to food when it comes to sort of maintaining that that healthy eating that healthy lifestyle that that healthy weight what are the the main things that that people bring to your membership community and ask about or struggle with I'll start with just one of the ones that I see being the most common is that if you're very busy, it's hard to prioritize this. So there's so many other things that are top of mind. Like let's say if we're physicians, we are taking care of patients in front of us. We're not almost willing to admit that if our health isn't taken care of, we can't take the best care of who's in front of us. And so just not putting it high enough on the board and also thinking this fallacy that it's going to take a lot of work to change it. I think that's the biggest thing is I hear this all the time. I don't even know if I can do this because their lives are so busy that they don't think they can take one more thing on. What do you think, Carrie? Yeah, absolutely. Those two. And also, I would add what what we tend to see as well is that very, very busy professionals, they just don't get that break in the day. So what often happens is this stress relieving kind of overeat that often happens maybe in the afternoon, maybe in the evening, as Matea said. And so when we're maybe seeing patients back to back or maybe you've got clients back to back and you're not taking that break for yourself, it's almost like you're you're keeping all of that pressure inside. It's like a pressure cooker and you're keeping that lid on until later when you're tired, you're feeling maybe frustrated, irritable, you just need a break. And Maybe if the staff room is full of cakes and biscuits and all that kind of stuff, it's like, well, this is the perfect thing now to relieve all that stress. But often one thing that we will say to people is, is you know, what about the, the idea of a micro break? What about five minutes just taking a breather, you know, sitting down somewhere and just taking a few deep breaths and a mindful moment to kind of build your tank up so that later on you don't have as much pressure that feels like it needs to be released. And quite often that can really help with the level and intensity of the overeating that can often happen in a work situation. That's interesting because I thought you were going to say in that micro break, go and get a handful of nuts or an apple or something so you're sort of constantly eating. But actually, no, you didn't. You said you sit down and you you take a breather. So, So it's not that we're just changing the different sorts of food that we're eating. It's actually we're changing what we're doing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Because one thing that we distinguish quite often within our membership is understanding what type of hunger you've got going on and that you're experiencing in that moment. So if you're physically hungry, for sure, you know, that physical hunger, the growling stomach, the, you know, feeling a little bit depleted and like you're thinking about food and lunch, you know, that type of hunger, that is the hunger to feed. But when it's emotional hunger, and quite often we can distinguish that by having an intense craving for only one thing or two things. They're the high 
fats, the high sugar, the quick release energy types of foods, they're the things that you're craving in those moments of emotional hunger. And so if you are experiencing emotional hunger, it's often good to actually not feed that hunger with food because there's an emotion going on at that time. And maybe your body's really crying out for a moment of mindfulness. Maybe it's crying out for, you know, just taking a break, <laughs> having a conversation with someone that's frustrated you or, or letting your stress out in another way, going and talking to someone. You know, there's so many things that you can do with these emotions. Yeah. We, we often talk about something called a compassion pause, and this can be done at any time, anywhere. So let's say I'll take an example. Like let's say you're feeling really frustrated. So the compassion pause is you literally pause. You, you just stop in space for a second and you ask yourself, what do I really need right now? And it could be that you think you need to go home and lay in bed and maybe you can't give yourself that at this moment. You're in the middle of seeing patients. That's fine. But at least you name what you need. So you start to get aware of what that is, because a lot of the times we've just gotten used to food filling that place that, okay, this is when I have a bar of chocolate and that's okay. It's a habit. It's just a habit that developed over time. But the compassion pause is what do I really need? You pause. If you can, you can build up over time. We say if you can start with five minutes, amazing. If you can do two seconds, start there. And then the important part is you have the permission slip. If you still want to go eat, you're not hungry. It doesn't matter. But you start to get aware of I'm using food in a way that's not actually fueling me. It's not actually helping me. Here's what's really going on. When I'm ready, I'll address that. But at least I start to get curious that awareness it's a really it's a really big first step that needs to happen usually. That's really interesting. So I'm just thinking, yeah, a lot of times when I'm just really tired or I've had stuff back to back to back, I think, oh, I'll go into the kitchen and I'll think, I'm really hungry and I'll look at my fruit bowl and go, Oh, but I don't want an apple. <laughs> I really want a piece of chocolate. So that's actually not real hunger, is it? Because there are times when I'm really hungry and I'll see an apple and go, Oh yeah, I'll just eat that apple because I'm so hungry. Mm-hmm. So that's a really good way of distinguishing literally, is it that I would eat anything right now? Okay, that's probably proper hunger. Or is it that I'm really craving one particular type of food? So that, that's, that's really interesting. Is there any other ways to know when you are eating to replace difficult emotions? That's a really good question. So eating to replace difficult emotions. I think One of the things is the unconscious eating that can happen sometimes. Those moments when you're eating and you don't know why. You know, those moments when you stop eating and you think, why did I just do that? And in the most extreme form, that can be a binge eat. In the most extreme form, that might even mean that you do a lot of binge eating, that you might have some kind of binge eating disorder, which is something we don't really address. But, you know, so in those moments, I think, yes, absolutely. If there's any unconscious eating going on, sometimes people call that storm eating where it's like it's just so compulsive and out of control. And quite often, you know, that's not really genuine hunger that might be happening at that point. There's definitely something where you're feeding something else that's going on inside. What do you think, Matea? We talk about these four phases of healing emotional overeating. And part of it is phase one is I always notice it after. So this is where most people start. They're, they're, they've always, always eaten all the things and they, and they feel so disappointed. But that's actually the first stage is to notice, wow, this is happening. Stage two, it's during, but you still can't stop it. And then stage three is I notice before that I'm not hungry, but I still go do it. And notice we're at three out of four, right? And then stage four is, oh, I'm actually not hungry. I notice what's going on. I have the skills, the tools. I process the urge. But what's interesting is a lot of when people are working on this, just in general, working on nutrition, wellness, whatever it is, 
three out of four of the stages is gaining awareness and then having massive compassion that there's nothing wrong with me that this is happening. You know, some habits got formed away. This was actually probably a way that I really knew how to take care of myself because I think we villainize it. But guess what? That chocolate really got you through some hard times. And I don't think we acknowledge that enough. And so it's much more complex than just we get rid of the chocolate. Like we need to actually understand what's going on. Yeah, I think that's a really great point because what we we see with people in our membership is that, and we did this ourselves as well, because it's a very human response. So we know that we shouldn't be doing this. And then what we tend to do in these moments is we judge ourselves, we beat ourselves up, our inner critic goes mad and, you know, speaks its mind very loud. And so what we want to do in these moments is actually switch from that and recognize, okay, I understand what's going on. Yes, I might have done it. But I know that things are changing. I know that I've got a different perspective. So it is actually a very different thing that's happening because it's no longer unconscious. But it is a very uncomfortable process of that time of change where you know that what you're doing, you have full awareness and and you need the trust and the faith of that moment that you are moving to a better place with it. It doesn't just happen overnight. And I think it's really important to acknowledge that because we don't want to get stuck in the place of I should be doing better and all the shouldings that can come with that because it can really put people into a shame cycle and take them out of the process completely. So that's a really important one. I think that, yeah, that's really, really helpful because while you were talking about that sort of emotional eating when you're not really hungry, but, you know, you may be stressed or whatever, it did just make me think, and this is my probably chimp brain going, yeah, but, yeah, but that's that's not fair because actually some days when things are really, really difficult at work, you think actually the only nice thing here is that bit of cake I'll get in the staff room or the only nice thing is on the way home I know I've got a bar of chocolate in in the car and so sometimes if you say right well I'm I'm not going to do that I'm going to change to have a I don't know apple and a piece of cheese or something like that like I'm taking away that one nice thing I've got in my day like is there nothing good left to me <laughs> but maybe that okay I, now I'm recognizing me saying that chocolate and sweet stuff is is a reward and it's a nice thing and it's a special thing and I can't have it normally. I can only have it when I've been a particularly good girl. I presume that's one of the mindsets you try and identify and change for people, right? It's these thought errors, right? That this is the only thing that's that's a treat or like you said, that you can't have it whenever you want to have it. Like what what is the reason why you can only have cake on a birthday? I don't know. So you can plan all these things whenever you want. You can do whatever you want. And I think a lot of it's identifying If I'm tired and I think that that's the only thing that's going to make this better, is that true? And so I always just say, is this, is it true? Is it loving? Is it kind? It's usually not, but we've not spent time thinking about it. And so that's, again, it's just, there's so much work that's involved in uncoupling that this is the only thing that makes it better. It's not true. It would likely be better if I took some breaks during the day, if I did some really nice things tonight to relax. There's so many other ways, but we have to build out that amazing story so that it feels true to us. Absolutely. I think the real problem here is that when these eats or overeats happen, it's unconscious and it's maybe a coping mechanism. And one of the guests on our podcast actually had a great phrase. It was something along the lines of, you know, I got to the stage where I never want to hire food out to help me deal with my emotions anymore. You know, I'm not giving that job to food anymore. And I love that because we're not saying you you should never eat cake. You should never eat chocolate. That's 100% not our message, you know, because if you really enjoy it, how much more would you enjoy it when it's intentional, when it's a moment where you can thoroughly enjoy that beautiful flavor and really 
enjoy the experience. It's very, very different from a, I've had such a stressful day and I've just got to gobble this down so quickly. You know, that kind of thing of, oh, just a moment of, you know, releasing that stress. It's very, very different. So you can choose to do that intentionally, but it may also be that you can actually have a look at that pattern in your life that's driving the overeat. Why is it that chocolate or chips or cookies are the only thing that gives you that moment of joy? Is there something in your day that you can look to adapt or change or your mindset? So it can help us sometimes to identify where we're out of alignment in our life and what's what's really not not working in a way that we would truly want it to. It's interesting, though, because the, the, that sweet stuff, those biscuits, those chips, whatever, they do give us that quick fix, that quick hit of dopamine. And I know you suggested maybe taking that slight sort of mindful pause break. What other things do you suggest that people do will, that will give the sort of equivalent hit of dopamine when they are really, really stressed, when they do need to just try and ride out those those urges? I want to start with this. If you're someone that has really been doing a lot of emotional eating, meaning you're not hungry, but you're using food at those times, I, we don't recommend in the beginning you just yank everything. So I would say just upgrading a little bit what you're doing. So if you're having chocolate, could you go to dark chocolate? Or if you're still going to have that milk chocolate, could you add some nuts to it? Could you add maybe a little piece of cheese? Could you do anything to balance it out a little bit more? So first of all, meet yourself where you're at and support the physiology first. We do not come at this from a standpoint of now we're going to go make 50 other changes and you're so overwhelmed. So we first of all, we support the blood sugar and physiology. The wonderful thing about that approach, and we often call this 1% upgrades, incremental upgrades, you're just changing things in a very slight way and it compounds over time. But what you're doing as well is you're you're starting to change your brain's chemistry so it doesn't rely on that massive hit of dopamine. So it is slowly transitioning you away from needing those big hits because they are very artificial hits of energy. You know, we get dopamine and those hits from any food that we enjoy. You know, we can get it from an apple. We just don't get the same level. So I think over time our brains have become very, very used to some of these processed foods where you do get a massive hit. So to um, change that over time and to just reduce the level of the reliance on the dopamine to deal with that moment can be wonderful. And then at the same time, you can start having a look for other things in those moments that might also bring you the natural reward. It's not a temporary hit of pleasure. It's a natural pleasure. Is it going for a little bit of a walk around the office block? Is it, you know, taking a moment to, to sit and breathe? Is it you know, calling your friend and, and just having a five minute conversation, calling your child, you know, whatever it might be, something that you enjoy doing in that moment. And paired with that, you can start to change your habits and not to rely on that massive hit of dopamine, because that's where you get the big swings up and down. I think when you're when you're relying on that. I get it. You'll push for time. And with over 200 episodes, how do you know which is going to be the one that lifts you out of the saucepan and back to thriving at work? Never fear, the You Are Not A Frog podcast quiz is here. Find out if you're a super squirrel, brilliant badger or mighty mole, and I'll send you a personalised playlist with the top five episodes that will make the biggest difference to you. Discover your top of the hops top five episodes sorry and leap into your happiest thriving self again just go to you are not a frog.com slash quiz
Because I think the other thing is, it's not only the dopamine hit, we're trying to complete a stress cycle at those times. And so there's a good book, I'm sure you've probably read it, it's Burnout, Breaking the Stress Cycle. And they talk about seven ways to really complete this, which is what we're looking for at those times. And I'm not going to talk about all of them, but some that I really love, laughter is one that completes the stress cycle. So a very practical one that I'll ask some of my clients is, you know, do you have a little, some funny videos that you like to watch? That could be part of you doing that instead of eating. The other one is exercise, right? Exercise always gets things flowing. Now, we don't need to go do a 50-minute workout, but a five-minute walk will do it. And that sunlight from nature, even better. And then the last one that I really just like to bring in there is connection. Human connection is massive for us. So it might be and connection in different ways, whether it's talking to someone, maybe you call your best friend, maybe if you have a significant other at home, you talk to them. The other form of connection could be physical, so a hug. A a good 20-second hug with someone else. And if you have no one else, you can hug yourself. You can literally cross your arms and give yourself a hug. I know we're all laughing and you think that's funny, but it's finding other ways to give yourself that emotional nourishment. And it it doesn't need to be radical what's happening. Yeah, (laughs) I love that. I love that. But think about how can we break that stress cycle and, um, yeah, do something that, that isn't stuffing chocolate in. And there's all sorts of different ways that we can do that. I think what we do struggle with, and I think you hit the nail on the head at the beginning, Matteo, is the, the the busyness. And when we do well-being sessions, we get people to brainstorm about how they can eat better, how they can eat well. And pretty much it all comes down to planning. It's like if I planned it, if I'd had time to plan it, then I would be eating well because it actually doesn't take that much longer to cook a healthy meal than it does to, you know, chuck a pizza in the oven, does it? But actually what you don't have is those fresh ingredients. So what what things have been helpful for the really busy people in your community in in terms of planning stuff? And so what would sh- what should we be planning? And 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 there any quick hacks to be able to to do this planning that doesn't take too much time? So one of the things that we talk about a lot in our community is having different types of plans for different days. So one of the things that people get tripped up a lot with is how they're eating during the week, and that. I mean, depending on where you work and how you work, that might become very rote and you might get into a bit of a routine. You know, maybe the evenings are a little bit questionable, but then it's the weekends that can set you off. So depending on your schedule, I mean, if you're working as a doctor, if you're doing shift work, it might be a little bit different. But what you want to do is to have these kind of little plans in your back pocket. I like to think of them like this is on my work days. These are the types of things I have for breakfast. These are the types of things I have for lunch. Like I know this cafe does an amazing salad or sandwich or whatever. These types of dinners, the easy dinners, maybe I chuck a potato in the oven, I make a, you know, baked potato, maybe I put some salad with that, I put some tuna with that. You know, the easy things that you can have in your cupboard, mainly store ingredients, can be really, really helpful. So I think it's a combination of having those ideas of the easy recipes that you love, that you can easily almost have your shopping list on rote if you're using, you know, internet an internet shopping provider like a cardo or something like that you know you have it all saved it's really easy and then also thinking about well on my average weekday this is probably how i'm going to eat on my average weekend depending on what you're doing but maybe those days when you're at home and things you'll have a, a kind of idea of what works for you and you get into a bit of a routine around it we also talk about you know the days when you're not feeling so well maybe you're premenstrual maybe you're on your period you've got low energy, you've got more cravings, you know, these types of days, we need a slightly different plan as well. So if you can just think about that in advance, and then not put too much pressure on yourself to get it right and get it perfect, and just practice that over time, that can be really helpful. 
Yeah, I always say unfollowed plans are gold because it shows you where the problems are and it shows you what to do. And so we the the, the goal here is not we make a plan and it's perfect and we're always perfect. It's we make a plan what we think would support us best during the day and then it doesn't work. And then we get to ask why. And you're going to learn so much more from that than if you've never made a plan and never tried something. The only other things I want to add here is that, especially if you're very busy, there's no shame in looking at some prepared options. So this could be whether you get a steamer bag of veggies that you put in the microwave. Okay, that's amazing because you can make it real quick when you get home. Sometimes they have already made prepared meals. There's no shame in any of that. So what I really want to encourage is lots of backup plans all the time everywhere. So you should have some backup dinners in the freezer that you can just pop in the oven. You know, the other big thing for me at work, I needed If I forgot my lunch, I knew what I was going to order, you know, how I was going to get it. If that didn't work, I had always some cottage cheese, some cut up apples in the fridge, some dark chocolate. I knew no matter what happens, I don't care what the day looks like, I will always have a plan. Now, that takes time to build. So I don't want everyone that's listening. And if you're going to work on this, don't think that in a week or two, you're going to have it figured out. But you 100% can get to a place where no matter what's happening, you feel like I've got this covered. I'm okay. There is just something about having that stuff ready cut up in the fridge, isn't isn't there? I currently have a Tupperware pot of cut up carrot in the fridge and it does make a big difference. I'm really starving just before dinner. It's like, okay, I'll grab that carrot and if I'm still hungry, I'll maybe have those crisps. But actually, that really helps. It just, it's sort of, you're preparing for when your willpower is really low, right? As humans, we always go for the easiest option, period. So to think that in some moments you're going to be elevated when you're hungry and tired, that's just insanity. So we we always need to make it easy for ourselves all the time. Yeah, I completely agree. I think we have this idealistic picture in our mind of how it should be. Like I should always be eating like this. I should always have something prepared. And that that idea in itself can cause so much pain and struggle. And one of the other things that, as you were talking, Matea, that popped into my mind was When I was coaching someone who was going through an extremely busy time at work, I mean, she found that it was very, very difficult to even get the shop in because she was on call and sometimes she was being called out in the middle of the night. And so what we got to with her was, do you know what? If you need to get a takeaway, why don't you have a look at those menus around you? Have a look on your Deliveroo app. Choose those meals that you really like that maybe it's a salad, maybe it's one of the kind of poke bowls or or one of those kind of things that are, you know, the healthier option so that when you come home and you're hungry and tired, you're not getting on there going, right, I'm getting my pizza in and a bottle of wine. Actually, you already know in your mind what you're going to go for on that takeaway menu. So even that as a backup plan can be another, you know, good way to go and just accept the fact that in these moments, if you're in a busy period at work, if you're in a busy role right now, it's okay. Just do what you can to support yourself. Mm -hmm. I love the fact that we're getting away from that I've got to do this I've got to do that or I should or or, or I ought to it's actually just make, make the choice beforehand of something that will be better than some of the other stuff right exactly exactly I think all of that thinking can just cause so much struggle and pain and I kind of think you know the that I need to I should I must you know all of those kind of words whenever I, I I hear those words within my own mind or within my my clients whenever they say those to me I'm like ah you know, let's have a look at that thought because it can create some really toxic thinking sometimes. And yeah, it's not good. You know, a lot of the times the reason we make these plans and why we think about it a little bit is because when we're in those scenarios, we're we're sort of panicked. It's a very like our nervous system's kind of on fire at those times. 
And so I always say our learning brain shuts off when we're panicked. So we're not able to do great reasoning during those times. So number one, don't don't be down on yourself. If if again and again you're you're doing these things that don't support you, we need to think about it well ahead of time. I mean, if the challenge is always at night, we in the morning when you're when you have a fresh, clean, nice brain, that's when we think about some of these things, not at night when you're tired and exhausted. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to quickly touch on the D word, the diet word, because lots of people have said to me recently, diets don't work. And I'm like, well, well, they do. I mean, I have been on every single diet in the world. I've been on the Dukan diet, the Atkins diet. I've been on the Slimming World green red thing. I've done the Fast 800. I do time restricted eating. Wait, you know, I've done everything. I must say that I did find the diet work. So I found the Fast 800 work really, really well. So why do we say diets don't work? So my perspective on it is that, you know, diets, if you choose to stay on them long term, if this is a lifestyle change that you're adopting and you, you I love this way of eating, you love this way of living your life and you can see yourself living this way for the long term, go for it. Diets do work when they are thought of like that. But what we tend to see is that Diets are often adopted with a short-term goal in mind, and then we get frustrated with ourselves because we don't stay on them. But actually, they were possibly never in alignment with how we truly want to live our lives. So with the most restrictive diets that I've ever been on, and I see this with our clients as well all the time, it changes our social habits. You know, we start feeling guilty when we get an invitation to go out to a restaurant, and it's like, oh, it's an Italian restaurant. It's all carbs or something like that. I can't eat anything. And then we we feel terrible because we want to you know, we want to be interacting with our friends. We want to go out and socialize. And then we've got a level of guilt around the food that we're eating at that point in time. So I think that's the limitation around diet. So if you are eating in a way that nourishes your body, that feels good, that, you know, you're able to socialize, you're able to partake in these very human events, birthdays, weddings, celebrations, it's all food based. That is wonderful. And I think that's where we get to in our program. We we often talk about the forever plan because we're trying to find a way of living your life so that you can eat some of the foods that you know you enjoy. And it might just be a temporary pleasure kind of food. But also most of the time you're eating those foods that really work for your body and it's sustaining your health and you're feeling good. And I think that's that's a much more powerful approach than a short-term temporary diet. The problem is that with these diets, you're not ever asking what your preferences are. So I think a really helpful place to start is, what did I like about these previous things that I did? So sometimes, for example, we have busy clients that they love intermittent fasting because they just don't need to think about it in the morning. It's not really a diet thing so much as it really fits in their lifestyle. They can just pop out the door and go to work. So Okay, so that's a great aspect. Some people like the lower carb diets because they actually feel like they can think better. That's not about being low carb. That's about you feel amazing, right? So look back at these times. Let's take those elements. Let's bring all of it into what you're doing. But then did it not work for you that you couldn't have cake on a birthday? All right, let's work on that because we need to normalize that relationship. But it's not a problem what you've done in the past. Let's learn from it. But realizing when someone else 100% writes the rules, it will never work in your world because all of us have a different scenario. So I think that's the main thing. And then the other thing is we can't say the diets worked when we needed another one. I mean, that's the bottom line, right? Like everyone says, oh, the diet worked. And I'm like, 
but but then you again needed to do it in a year. And then again, you know, it's like it doesn't matter if you lose the weight if you can't keep it off. So mm-hmm. my thought is whatever we're going to do, I want you to be able to do it for life. And you might sit here and tell me, well, I don't know what I'm going to be willing to do for life. But right now, do you like it? If you don't like it right now, then we have our answer. It's not for you. Yeah, that, that's really helpful because, yes, I had really great results with the Fast 800, but I was just about to try and do it again, <laughs> which means yes. it didn't work, right? <laughs> I, they're great principles. And I love what Matea said as well about, you know, someone else is writing the rules for us. And I think I I remember an, an experience when I was in my naturopathic practice and, and I actually did weight loss coaching, first of all, with a very much a diet approach. And um, I remember a time when I was sitting down with a client and I handed them the plan. This is what you eat. You know, this is how you eat to lose weight. And but this client, you know, she had a history. All all of her culture was from Jamaica. She came over here from Jamaica. So she was like, well, what about rice? And what about this? And, you know, often it doesn't take into consideration the cultural aspects, the economic aspects, what's available locally for you. You know, all those kind of preferences that we have. So I think it's a a much more kind of inclusive approach as well when actually you can pick and choose what really works for you. You can think about those family meals, those recipes. How can I adapt them and how can I really learn to take this on rather than trying to make someone else's plan that worked for them work for me? So I think that's a really nice way to go as well. Mm. And should our primary goal be weight loss or should it be something else? Okay, this is going to sound strange because our group is called the School of Sustainable Weight Loss. I don't ever think the goal should really be weight loss. I think it's all about what habits, what health goals, what do I want to build out? So a really nice concept that I like, and this is talked about in the book Atomic Habits by James Clear. He talks about when you're going after things, identity-based habits, so who I become, it's much more powerful than result-based habits. Like, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds. Most people, it's not about the weight loss. When I really ask you, why do you want to lose the weight? Who do you become? What do you get to do when that weight is lost? What I start to hear is I'm more active with my kids. I don't have to worry about my health. Like there's so many other things that that happen. The weight loss is just a happy side effect. But when we make it the only goal, then that becomes the way that we live our life, what the scale is saying, all those kind of things. I want you to have a full, rich life where you don't worry about your weight. All you care about is I'm supporting myself amazing and I'm doing these things that feel great. I also think that quite often people are looking to lose weight to get healthier. And sometimes that is the right thing. Sometimes the weight loss will produce a healthier body, but it's not always the case. It's not the only thing that is relevant. So I've got a great book around biomarkers and it talks around 10 different biomarkers. You know, what are your cholesterol levels? What's your blood pressure? You know, all of those things. If you look at, you know, a number of different markers in your life. And then also, if you layer onto that, the stress levels, the emotional well-being, the mental health as well, it's a very different picture of overall health than just a number on the scale. So I do think sometimes people are kind of chasing that number, especially when it comes to BMI, which is quite a controversial topic in itself. Like, should you be in the normal range of BMI? Is that right for your body? You know, sometimes when they're chasing that, they don't always get those healthy results because they get that number on the scale. So I think that's that's one to look at as well. Mm. That That's really interesting because, you know, I always look at this, no, I want to be thin and fit into those particular type of genes and blah, blah, blah. But actually, if I really think about it, I, I want to really stabilize my mood and make sure that I'm not 
being really hangry all the time. That, that is what I find when I am on a diet. I get very stroppy and, and snappy and that, that's not good. That's not good for anybody. I know we haven't got that much time left, but a lot of our audience are sort of mid career, late career. We have a lot of women listening to this podcast and you mentioned hormones and, you know, I'm at that age where I'm starting to think maybe, you know, my hormone levels are fluctuating. It's really hard to to, to lose any weight so it seems to be whatever I eat it's just you know piling on body change of shape all that sort of thing how do hormones affect how we feel in in relation to food and around the time of menopause for women what do we specifically need to be looking out for and changing so I love looking at insulin in this respect because I find that as women start to change hormonally, so even from kind of perimenopause, things just start to change. You go and do the old diets that you used to in your 20s, it just doesn't work in the same way at all. So, you know, a lot of a lot of our kind of thinking is kind of based on Jason Fung's work, you know, and, and when you start looking at those insulin levels to see what is actually happening with your insulin, you know, when your insulin levels are out of balance, you might be storing more fat in those points in time. And then if you layer on having a look at, at ghrelin and leptin, you know, ghrelin where it's the hunger hormone, it's, you know, determining your hunger levels and then leptin as well. Those three hormones, if you have a look at balancing those hunger hormones with the food you're eating, primarily that's about balancing out the sugar and the flour. That approach really tends to, to work for women at this time. So what I notice is that when we get a little bit more of a handle on the, the sugar and the flour, it reduces our hunger levels, it reduces our over-desire levels, and then the weight starts to drop off because our insulin levels go down as well. So we're no longer storing the fat. We're actually able to take the fat out of the stores and use it in those moments in time. So it just tends to work a little bit better. But I know you've done a huge amount of study recently, Matea, in this area. So you've probably got a lot more to talk about with your obesity medicine boards that you've been doing recently. I I agree with everything that Curie said. And the other thing that that I think is really needs a handle on, and it always does, but even more so in this period, it's stress management. So those cortisol levels, that stress that you're experiencing, we've got to get a handle on that because maybe in the past you could you could compensate for it. But now that starts to show up with weight on your body and you feeling poorly, all of those kinds of things. So it becomes all of this goes together. And again, we take the approach of really focusing on nutrition to get you there. But a lot of this is about we can't afford anymore to not take care of you. It's just not an option anymore. Otherwise, you're going to feel poorly. And so we need to start to figure out ways Maybe you never prioritized yourself before, but can we now start to enter a chapter of your life where we really focus on you? That That's the answer here. Hmm. Because am I right in thinking the more stressed we are, obviously, the more cortisol we've got going around our bodies. Cortisol makes us store fat, right? Makes central yeah. is a risk factor for central obesity. Is that right? The other thing that's interesting, it's not only stress, like you're working, but if you're sitting there in a body that you're not comfortable in, that perceived stress of you, they've done studies where they've shown that the stigma that you experience, that raises your cortisol as well. So this is another reason why you really need to be comfortable with where you're living and what you're doing, because otherwise your cortisol goes up from that. It's real. They've literally shown this with levels and studies how significant it is. 
And I think that's especially important for women at that period in their their lives. Because when I was in my naturopathic practice, at you know at that time, what we used to do was start to support women's adrenals at this point, you know, with adaptogenic herbs. And the reason why we did that is because you know if your ovaries are starting to dial down in terms of their estrogen production and all the female hormones, and some of that is transferring in different forms over to the adrenal glands, we have even less ability to respond to stress. So if your stress levels go up, if circumstances get more stressful, you've kind of got less resources at this time to even handle them. So that's what we used to do from a naturopathic point of view was often support a person on an adrenal level with herbs like that. And that really helped at that time. So I think it's interesting to take that into account as well. I think it's interesting what you say as well about the sugar and the flour. So for for women around menopause, perimenopause, actually trying to lower your consumption of sugar and flour would be quite helpful. Yeah, we we talk about that a lot in our membership that, you know, ultimately what what you can transition to, but do it in a way that works for you within your life is having less of those processed foods, because we know that those processed foods inflame the body. We know that they're going to, you know, unbalance your hunger hormones, your hunger levels will go up, your desire levels will go up. But saying that, if you truly don't want to live a life where you never eat chocolate again, let's find a way to make it work for you so that. Most of the time you're supporting your body, you're nourishing your body, you're feeling good, you're thinking clearly, you've got great energy. And then you'll have those times where you go to a birthday party, you go out, whatever it is, you'll have a bit of cake, you'll have a bit of wine, whatever you want to do. And often, actually, I find what people do is they really notice at that time how much the food inflames their body. So it's like it's massively obvious what's going on, which is really interesting. We're nearly out of time, but from you guys... It would be really helpful just to know what 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 should we be trying to eat more of and what should we be trying to eat less of? I completely appreciate that the a good approach is like no food is completely banned because that immediately makes you, well, me because I'm a bit naughty, it makes me want to have it. If someone told me I'm not allowed, I'm like, right, that's all I can think of. But actually there are things that we should be having more of, things we should be having less of. So I'd love to know a little bit about that, but also what what's helped for people in the past in terms of, little habits, little hacks that have actually helped. Like I love that hack about, you know, you're going to have a takeaway just in, in advance, choose which dishes you're going to have. That's really helpful. So what what advice have you gleaned from your years of experience working with your community? So everybody's body is going to be different. So it's going to be very challenging for me to sit here and say, well, this is exactly how you should eat. But let me start with this. I think you can decide how do I want my nutrition to look? Do I want it to be, for example, 80-20? So 80% great fruits and vegetables and whole grains and, uh, you know, full fat dairy and meat and, you know, all those kind of things. Do I want that? And then the 20% to be, I have some bread and some pasta and some cake. So you get to kind of decide how you want to live that. And then you can incorporate your life as such. And you can say, okay, so that means this many times a week, I'm going to go do X, Y, Z. But I really think making sure that you're getting enough veggies, making sure that you're getting enough protein. If we can start with those two, then everything else can fall into place. There's room for anything. And then I, here's what I say. There's, I always say there's this like tripwire phenomenon, like up to a certain point, you do fine with some flour and sugar. But then over that point, you might notice I'm hungry all the time. I'm thinking about food 24 seven. So let's get to know what your tripwire is. So we need you to be the scientist of your body and really get curious when when I do this, I feel amazing. But when I then go into this land, I start to not feel good. So let's get to get to learn what that is. Yeah, I love that. And an approach that I really like as well is 
as Matea said, you know, it's it's all the the veggies and the proteins and the healthy fats. And I think if I like to look at that as my baseline, if I've got protein, if I've got some healthy fats, if I've got a good portion of non-starchy veg, that is wonderful. And so one little hack I love is that if people are eating a plate with that and maybe they've got potatoes or pasta or something like that with it, let's start with the veggies and the fat and the protein and then get to the other stuff. So you're really filling up on that very nourishing food first. And that in and of itself is a step in the right direction on your weight loss journey or on your your journey to upgrading your nutrition and eating in a very different way because you're always prioritizing that. And that in itself can change you know how full you feel as well and how satisfied and nourished you feel because say for instance with pasta you might not feel as nourished for as long so if you choose the other ingredients first it's going to balance out those glucose levels in your blood afterwards so that's one little hack that I love the other one that Matteo mentioned before is adding a friend so if you're having an afternoon snack and it might be say cake or something like that have a handful of nuts with it make sure you get some protein or some fat along with it so pair anything that is going to be uh, very high on the GI scale, it's very quick burning. Pair that with something that's a little bit slower. Slow it down so it doesn't convert so quickly into a lot of energy really, really quickly, and then you're going to have that crash. So that will sustain you for a little bit longer. But even better than that, if you can wait until after dinner, save that little piece of cake, save that chocolate, save that biscuit until after dinner, it's even better. So perhaps have a savory snack instead and then have that afterwards. So those little snacks I mean, one client of mine, she just started with that. She, she, you know, started adding a friend and she started saving what she could, the sweets wise until after her meal. And she lost three pounds just doing that when we got started. So those are really powerful hacks. Mm-hmm. I know not everyone's losing weight on your podcast, but yeah. <laughs> you know what? I think most of us do. You know, by the time you get to my age, it's just, it's just so much harder, isn't it? And then, yeah. and then of course we haven't even mentioned exercising and activity and all that, mm-hmm. that sort of stuff, mm-hmm. which again boosts your mood, makes you feel better, makes you less hungry, doesn't it? Mostly. Yeah. A little bit of exercise. This is interesting. So ghrelin is the hunger hormone that says you're hungry, start eating. And a little bit of exercise actually suppresses ghrelin. So I'm not talking about you going doing a whole weight lifting session, things like that, but just a little bit. So it's interesting. This is another thing we actually recommend is if you notice that, you know, I'm hungry before dinner, but there's a little bit of time before we're going to eat. Sometimes a little quick walk then is actually very helpful. I'd just love to finish with what you've already mentioned atomic habits. What small habits, and you've mentioned a a few eating habits, but are there any other habits that have been really helpful for people to change what they're doing in relation to, it could be emotional eating or reducing stress or, or anything like that that you've noticed through through your membership or that you, you recommend to people? This is going to sound really silly, but getting enough water in. <laughs> so it sounds so, it's like, okay, we've all heard this before, but, but what water does is that, number one, we feel less like a wilted plant, but number two, you start to show yourself you matter And it's, you know, I'm being intentional about it. I'm getting this in. It's literally the lowest hanging fruit that you could start today. And a lot of people feel better on it. Sometimes their hunger is even down a little bit because they're just regulating things a little bit better. So just start with some water. That's a really good, that is a really, really good tip. And I I would say even when I don't drink enough water, it's generally because I'm out and about and I don't have a water bottle with me. <laughs> so sometimes it's it's buying the water. Oh, yeah, Matteo's showing me her water bottle. I've just picked up my glass of water that's here. 
buying a really nice water bottle, right? That that's what mm. we all like buying things, right? So <laughs> that's Absolutely. a really great tip. Thank you. Anything yeah, else? Yeah, that is a good one. That is a good one. So we talk about the basics and the fundamentals before we get on to the mindset stuff. And the other one is really having a look at your sleep as well. So if you're feeling overtired, you know, if you're waking in the night, if the quality of sleep is not that good, if the length of sleep is not, you know, what it could be, you're going to find you're hungrier. You have less resilience when it comes to stressful situations and then the cravings and the urges to eat that come up. And we've probably all experienced this, haven't we? On those tired days, you just eat more. You're more hungry and you probably don't make as nourishing food choices as you would on a day when you're feeling really refreshed and really well. So if, you know, sleep is an issue as well, that can be a really good one to have a look at to change those eating patterns as well. Yeah, I did read that you you eat probably another three to 500 extra calories when you're tired. It's amazing, isn't it? That's huge, isn't it? So so guys, we are out of time, unfortunately. In in a minute, I'd love to hear about the work you're doing and how people can join you. But if you were just to summarise everything in your three top tips each, what would they be? Kerry, I'll ask you first. Okay, so the first tip for me, I think, would be adopting the philosophy of 1% upgrades. And we did take this from Atomic Habits. We love James Clear's work in in our membership. So if you haven't read that book, I'd highly recommend it. He talks about 1% upgrades and the power of 1% upgrades. And so I think it takes us out of that kind of idealistic over overachieving thing that we often get to, like, I want to lose 20 kilos and I want to do it now. I want to get really healthy. And I only want to eat, you know, salads and veggies. And from tomorrow, everything's going to be different. Actually, if we can just put in that one change, that small little tweak that you can do, master that, you know, maybe do it for seven days, do it 14 days. It depends like what the habit is. Change that and then add in another one. So just do these little 1% upgrades. It compounds over time and it makes a massive difference. James actually talks about the example of the British racing team, British cycling team in the book, which is really fascinating about the coach that came in who did 1% upgrades and just changed tiny little things like their the the clothes that they were wearing and the bike and how they were cleaned and the dust that was on the bikes, little tiny changes. And we all remember here in the UK how amazing the performance was around the 2012 Olympics of the um, cycling team, and it was all as a result of the 1% up upgrade so that's a really big one I think I think to add to that I think it's allow micro breaks to count so do not go out there thinking you're going to radically change your whole life that's that's uh, always ends in disaster so start like like Carrie was saying with the little breaks the little micro breaks one percent upgrades and then I think if you're starting to work on improving your nutrition just to add a friend so I always say add don't subtract when you start it sounds very counterintuitive Everyone wants to fight me, but add in the food that supports you because it will be easier for you to let go of the things that you don't feel work that well for you. But whenever we don't trigger restriction, you will do much better long term. Thank you. And that is a, I really, really like that. Can you just quickly clarify what sorts of friends these are, like a handful of nuts or what else? Yeah. So I'll give you an example and I call it chips here. I don't know if you guys call it crisps. I know we have different names, but crisps. Exactly. Okay. So I really like eating them, but Mm. I know that it does nothing for me. My hunger doesn't go down. I have more urges and cravings. So to me, I'm a vegetarian. I love to put a little cottage cheese with it. So I might eat it first and then have the crisps 
Or sometimes I'll take a piece of cheese and eat that with it. But the point is I don't anymore just do pretzels because I know it doesn't matter how good it tastes. I'm not going to feel good afterward. So I've really learned over time I need to add something to it if I'm going to have it. It just works out better that way. Okay, that's helpful. So things like cottage cheese, a bit of cheese, some nuts, I guess hummus would count there. So we're talking about anything high protein and and possibly fats, good fats count, right? Good fats. Good good fats. Good fats provide the satiety factor. So everyone's always thinking about pushing protein all day long, which is amazing, by the way. Protein's great. But if you don't have enough good fats in there, then you're left in this scrounging energy where you want to go find all the foods. Okay, brilliant. So 1% upgrade, allow micro breaks to count and start with little breaks and actually work out what you're going to do on those little breaks. And I love that idea you talked about earlier about that, this breaking that, that stress cycle. So we're going to go and find lots more hugs and things like, things like that. Good hugs, not naughty hugs. And we're going to add a friend, add a friend too. If you, if you want to have those crisps, great, but maybe add in some cottage cheese or some hummus with that or if you have a little bar of chocolate add a handful of nuts or 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 something like that and i think that's going to be really really doable so so guys if people are interested in finding out more about you and your work or joining a membership what, what do they do okay so we have a podcast as well it's the weight loss for life podcast so if you like podcasts you're probably listening to this and you do like podcasts you can find us at the weight loss for life podcast and we also have our membership the school of sustainable weight loss and there's lots of information about that on the wlcc.com website lovely and presumably they can follow you on social media as well and find out more about about your work etc etc we'll put all those links to your stuff in the show notes and I'm sure you'll get lots of people really having a look at that because I think you know I, I just love what you do I love this thing it's all about mindset to me this just seems really really intuitive it's really obvious it's really healthy and it's for everybody right even if people don't need to lose weight they can still do this and they will still start to feel better so that's what's so brilliant about this for everybody right Great. So thank you so much for spending the time today. And I think we'll have to get you back at another time because there's so much more we can we can talk about. And if anyone's got any questions or, or suggestions for topics that they'd like to talk to Matera and Kerry about, then do email us at hello at you are not a frog dot com and we'll get them back and we'll we'll put them all our questions about this this sort of thing. So it's been wonderful to have you and thank you so much for being here. Thank, thank you. you so much for having us on today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. Don't forget, we provide a self-coaching CPD workbook for every episode. You can sign up for it via the link in the show notes. And if this episode was helpful, then please share it with a friend. Get in touch with any comments or suggestions at hello at youarenotafrog.com. I love to hear from you. And finally, if you're enjoying the podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you're listening. It really helps. Bye for now.